Last week, if you weren't with us, we wrapped up our series in Daniel. I know if you missed it, go back, watch it. I'd encourage you, if it's your first time with us, and you wanna go back and you wanna really in-depth study in Daniel, you can go back and listen to the podcast. But we are kicking off a new series this morning that we're gonna be in for the next five weeks, rooted in Matthew chapter 28. So Matthew 28 is where we'll be this morning. You can go ahead and turn there with me in your Bibles. I actually wanna begin with a, a quote. It's a quote that I love. It's a quote that Keila and I, um, she's not right there, she's in the back serving with kids, but we, we, we say it back and forth to each other often. And it goes like this, how you spend your days is how you spend your years. How you spend your years is how you spend your life. So the days turn into years, the years turn into a lifetime. And I think the reason I'm just continually kind of drawn back to this quote is when I get to the end of my life, I really, I really aim to look back on it and think, okay, that was a life well spent. I think all of us kind of wrestle with this question and maybe wrestle with this thought, okay, at the end of my life, like, am I going to live a life that, that man, that I'm, I'm proud of, that, that I feel like I haven't, haven't wasted? And I think all of humanity, in, in all honesty, kind of wrestles with this question. Maybe wrestle with this question in a number of different ways. Okay, what is, what is my purpose? Like, what is my purpose? Why, why do I exist? Like, how do I live into, into the call that God has put on my life, and I've wrestled with this question a number of different ways in a number of different facets. So I've, I've thought, okay, who do, who do I wanna be uh, as a father? Who, who do I wanna be as a son? Who do I wanna be as a disciple of Jesus? Who do I wanna be as a friend, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and I've actually spent time thinking through this, spent time kind of writing out, okay, here's my vision, here's, here's my mission for these areas of my life, but here's what I figured out. Unless I take the time to go back and revisit that vision, it's really easy to forget. It's really easy to forget unless I revisit it often. Okay, who, who am I? Who am I called to be? And the days, my goodness, they can so quickly turn to years, and the years, they can so quickly turn into a lifetime. And unless we revisit the question often, who am I, who am I called to be, we'll forget it day to day. Now this is, I think, true for individuals. I think that's true for each and every one of us. But I also think this is true on a, on a collective communal level. So whether you're a part of an organization or a company or, or a church, you ask the question, okay, what is our purpose? What is our vision? Why do we exist? What are we here for? And I would argue, and why we're gonna be in this series in Matthew 28, there isn't a more important vision. There isn't a more important vision than the one you have as a follower and disciple of Jesus. And collectively, like as, as a body, as a church, there isn't a more important vision than the one we have as a church and what we've been called to do. It's the reason we say each and every week, sometimes probably ad nauseum, like we exist as a church to what? Love God, love people, and awaken a movement. Like five of you know it, we're doing a great job. <laughs> Although I didn't make it clear, I wanted you to say it with me, um, in all fairness. It's the reason each and every year, like every year, we, we pause as a church and we say, hey, we're, we're gonna spend time revisiting why we exist. It's what we're gonna be doing over the next five weeks as a church family, answering the question, okay, who are we? Who are we as Ethos Church? 
Why do we exist? What, what are we going to give our days to? Like, what are, we, what are we gonna give our years to? What are we gonna give our lives to? Now, it would have been really helpful, like, if Jesus had just made this really clear for us. Um, good news, he did, Matthew 28, let's jump in. Let's jump in together. Starting in verse 16, he says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had let them go, told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our mission statement as a church, love God, love people, awaken a movement. It comes from two different places in scripture, uh, both words from Jesus, the great commandment where Jesus in Matthew 22, he says, hey, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we get the first part of our mission, in case you didn't know. Love God, love people. And then the second part of our mission, Awaken a Movement, is Matthew 28. This, this commissioning from Jesus. This commissioning from Jesus to his disciples, to his followers. It's, it's where we get this this call on our lives to awaken the movement that he began. And we're gonna unpack what we feel like God's inviting us to do in this season to awaken a movement over the next five weeks. So what is our purpose? What is our calling? Like no matter what job you have, no matter what city you live in, no matter what town you're from, no matter where you find yourself, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have this call that we're gonna be looking at to make disciples. Now, we're gonna dig deep into each parts of this verse. So we're going from, from Daniel, where we're looking at a huge chunk of scripture. We're gonna spend five weeks, essentially, on three verses. Today, we're gonna look at verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Pretty bold claim there from Jesus. Technically, I was given just one verse to cover, but as I kept reading verses 16 through 20 just over and over and over again this week, God just kept bringing something to my attention that I felt like we, I just needed to share this morning. Just felt like this was a word maybe for, for some people in, in the room that were maybe wrestling with some things. So jump back with me to verse 16. He says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. At this point, so at this point, Jesus had died on the cross. He had risen to life, which you can read about earlier in Matthew 28. He was now uh, kind of visiting his disciples, visiting his followers, and this is this is one of those moments where he's visiting with his disciples. And Jesus, earlier in Matthew 28, had told Mary and Mary Magdalene, who had seen the empty tomb, he said, hey, go and, and tell my disciples, tell my brothers to meet me at this mountain in Galilee. Now, we don't know exactly what this mountain was, but clearly the, the disciples, through their ministry with Jesus, knew the mountain that he was talking about. So they go there. They're obedient to that word. And then it says they responded in, in two different ways. Well, a group of them, it says they, 
They worshiped Jesus. And then another part of the group says there was doubt, or your Bible might translate it hesitation. Now, this is a very short verse. I don't know if you've even caught it before when reading the Great Commission, but I am really glad that Matthew decided to include this in his gospel, because I was thinking this week, okay, if some of the 11, right, if some of the 11 disciples, some of those who were walking with him, that knew him, that had seen him perform the miraculous, if some of them struggled with doubt, we shouldn't be surprised, we shouldn't be fearful of the moments when on our journey with Jesus, we, we see this bubble up. Like, I think if we all came in here honestly, there are probably some of you right now, like this morning, even as we were singing those songs, you're like, I'm struggling to believe these words. Here's the thing that I felt like God was saying to share. Like, God can handle it. We can handle it. You don't, you don't need to run away from this place. You don't need to run away from Jesus in the moments of doubt. I can only imagine. Can you imagine some of these conversations with, with the 11 as they're, as they're headed to the mountain? You know, s- some of them are just like, yes, we're gonna see Jesus. He's gonna be there. Some of them are like, I don't know. I don't know, is he gonna show up? Like, is he, is he actually gonna be there? But here, here's what was highlighted to me this week as I read this. What I love about the disciples who are wrestling with doubt is that they still showed up to the place where Jesus told them to go. They, they, were, they were still obedient to the things and the ways of Jesus. The things that Jesus told them to do, they still did it. Far too often, I think what our tendency to do is to run in the opposite direction. I think in the midst of a moment of struggle in faith, in the midst of a moment of doubt, I think what we tend to do is maybe run away from Jesus instead of running towards Jesus. And so we isolate ourselves. You know, you get away and you read that book and you listen to that podcast and then all all of a sudden you find yourself farther than you ever thought you would be. I love that the disciples moved towards Jesus. And I think this is something some of y'all just need to hear this morning. In the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your questions, in the midst of your faith struggles, don't move away from Jesus, keep moving towards him. And the beauty of this moment comes in the very next verse. It says that Jesus came to them. What does Jesus do? Like in the midst of this moment, what does he do? He draws close. He draws near. His response to to those who worshiped and his response to those who doubted or hesitated is the same. He comes near and he draws close. This is the Jesus who leaves the 99 to find the one. Don't run away from Jesus in the midst of your doubt. Don't run away from Jesus in the midst of your hesitation. Keep drawing near and close to his heart. He will fulfill that promise that he will draw near to you. And then he makes the claim. He makes the claim of all claims. He says, hey, I want y'all to know, in the midst of your worship, in the midst of your doubt, no matter where you find yourself, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is where we're gonna camp out for the rest of our time. And I want us to look at this statement from Jesus, this proclamation from Jesus from two different perspectives. The first perspective is, okay, what does this actually mean for Jesus? 
What did it mean that Jesus had all authority in heaven and on earth? And then I want us to look at what does it actually mean for us? What does this statement mean for us, for for anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus? Now, why are we spending an entire week on, on one verse, verse 18? Well, I think we have to deeply understand, we have to know the starting place for everything we're getting ready to talk about the next four weeks. Did you catch the first time we read this? He says, therefore. He says, therefore go. How many of you, when you've quoted the Great Commission, I've done it myself. Oh yeah, I know the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Jesus actually starts the Great Commission with here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the starting place from which we have to understand his words to go. And we're gonna dig into those. What does this mean? All authority. All authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus. It means that Jesus is in charge of the entire universe. To put it really simply, he's in charge of the entire universe. There is, there's no place that you can go. There's no place you can go on earth, in the cosmos, that Jesus doesn't have complete authority. He is the CEO, period. In the seen world, in the unseen world, in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, like wherever you go, Jesus has all authority. There is nowhere you can go that he doesn't. Now, what what does this mean? In the original language, what do you think the word all means? It means all, yeah. It means all. Authority, it means the power of rule or the power of choice, the ability to do as one pleases, a.k.a. you are in charge. Where, where, wherever Jesus go, he's in charge. No matter where he finds himself, like no matter the circumstances he finds himself in, he is the most powerful person in the room, period. Now, this, this would have been really empowering to hear from the disciples. Like on the other side of his resurrection, they're like, okay, these, these words would have been empowering and comforting. But on, on one hand, I was thinking this week, they had actually encountered the authority of Jesus like all throughout his ministry. On one hand, this was nothing new. He taught with authority. Think about this with me. Think about Jesus all throughout his earthly ministry. He, he rebuked the wind and the waves. Like he, he was the authority over the weather. He forgave sins with authority. He casted out demons with authority. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He had authority here on earth. But there was even more that Jesus had set out to do, right? Over, overcoming death itself. To, to, to be able to, as he says in Revelation, hold the keys of death in Hades. Opening, opening wide the door for anybody to be reconciled back to God. The words from Jesus, remember what he uttered on, on the cross. He says, it is finished. This was a setup for Matthew 28, where he says, hey, The resurrected Jesus can proclaim all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Even death itself 
no longer has mastery over you. All week long as I just thought about, okay, the authority of Jesus in the heavens and the earth, like what does this mean? What does this look like? I kept being drawn to the passage of Revelation 5. And if you've never read Revelation chapter five, it's actually the song that we sing, Is He Worthy? It's this Andrew Peterson song. And it's a song where, where the end has come and they're finally looking for someone who, who he can judge and rule over the whole earth. And John, one of his disciples who's, who's seeing this vision, he's, he's sad because he doesn't see anyone who's worthy to open the scroll. And he's asking the question, is anyone worthy? Like, is anyone earthy to rule and to judge with finality? And the words of the song, they go like this, is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seals and open the scroll? And it says, the Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He was David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slain. Who is worthy, like who is worthy to judge and reign over the whole earth? There is, there is only one. There is only one who is worthy. The son of God, the lion of Judah, the lamb who was slain, who is now seated at the right hand of the father. The one who what? Has all authority in heaven and on earth. This is the one who is worthy. This is the only one that could, could reign and rule for eternity. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the only one who could ever proclaim and make this statement and it actually be true. Now we could spend honestly hours here just unpacking the authority of Jesus. We've only scratched the surface, but for the sake of time, I wanna get to the second question. What, what does this mean for us? Because we can't just simply admire this reality. Like, it's actually a good thing to behold this reality, to look to this reality. It's the thing that we were singing earlier. Like, it's a good thing to do that. But it, when it simply becomes admiration and doesn't actually change the way that we live and operate, I don't think we've seen the full picture. So I wanna give us a couple takeaways from this truth, this reality. Okay, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. What does that invite me to do? First one, trust Jesus's authority. If you're taking notes, number one, trust Jesus's authority. Because it's one thing to, to know, these on, know these truths on a head level. It's a whole other thing to like fully lean in and trust these realities. To, to trust like in those things that I mentioned earlier, that Jesus has authority over sickness, that he has authority over the demonic, that he has authority over death, that he has authority over all. Now, if we were to fully lean in and trust this reality, is this not the best news ever for followers of Jesus? Yes. Is this not like comforting news? This should be such a comforting takeaway. Like we should come back to this verse each and every morning. Like, isn't it good news that that diagnosis you got does not have authority over you? Like, isn't it good news that that cancer doesn't have authority over you? That your circumstances don't ultimately rule over you? Isn't it comforting to know that even death itself does not have authority in your life? 
That's the place from which we live. That's the place from which we operate. And I think the invitation is to trust in him, no matter what. No matter what you're going through, no matter the circumstances, keep coming back to this reality to trust in his authority. Whatever pain is coming your way, whatever temptation is coming your way, trust in his authority. And I promise, like, we will make it through. We will see the other side. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter eight. He says, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, listen to this, neither death nor life, angels, demons, present, future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ, nothing that comes your way. John 16, Jesus himself, he says what? Hey, in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's like, you can rest in that. You can live from that. The other night, I was putting my oldest to to bed and we had finished our Bible story and my oldest was kind of flipping through uh, the rest of the stories and he comes to the story of the demon-possessed man and he's like, who is this? And I'm like, that's, that's the demon-possessed man. Um, we're getting ready to head to bed. Let's, let's save, that for, uh, save that for tomorrow night. Before you judge my parenting too hard, I'm like, okay, how do I boil this down with my five-year-old and my three-year-old quickly? Long story short, I kept it pretty simple with, with the last point landing on this. I said, I said, you have absolutely nothing to fear. Like, absolutely nothing to fear. Do you know why? Do you know why? I was like, because Jesus is on your side. And guess what? Jesus ultimately and always wins. You have absolutely nothing to fear because Jesus wins. I was like, didn't y'all pay attention to our series, The Unseen Realm in the Fall? Like, it's, 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 hard, it's hard to have peace when you don't lean into this promise that all authority in heaven on earth belongs to Jesus. And it's also hard to not have peace when you fully lean your life into this reality. Even, even when the circumstances do not dictate peace. Because this reality is, okay, even our momentary troubles are achieving for us what an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What a comfort. Second takeaway, number two, submit to Jesus's authority. Number two, submit to Jesus's authority. Now, if Jesus has authority over all things, over every person, that, that, means, that means that Jesus even has authority over me, every facet of my life. That means Jesus has authority over you, like in every facet of your life. Now, this would be difficult if Jesus wasn't trustworthy and good. Because 
Here's the reality. A life of following Jesus, like the ultimate picture of a life of following Jesus is this. It is full submission and full surrender to the authority of Jesus, obedience to his, to his lordship. And the truth is you don't wanna submit to anyone who is not good, who is not trustworthy, but someone who is good, like someone who is trustworthy, and there is no one better than Jesus, the one who laid down his life for you, the one who gives us hope beyond this broken world, the one who, as Philippians 2 says, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, right? But, but lowered himself, became a servant for the sake of each and every one of us so that one day we could be with him forever. This is a trustworthy God. This is a trustworthy person to put and stake your entire life upon. We'll, we'll look to Jesus and we'll, we'll, we'll look to him as savior, we'll, we'll look to him as friend, and both of these are good, and both of these are true, and both of these are important. But we also must look to Jesus as Lord. Jesus must be Lord. Far too often what I think Christianity can become is checking boxes of belief. It's like, okay, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. And then I'm gonna add a little bit of this on and a little bit of this on and a little bit of this on. We don't follow a set of moral beliefs. We, we don't follow a religious structure. We follow a person. We follow the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who is worthy to submit your life. Now, this, this means every facet of your life. And I'm not saying any of us are perfect. I'm not saying any of us are there. But this means submitting your finances to him. This means submitting your time to him, your sexuality, your kids, your job, your city, your relationship status. That means going all in on the person of Jesus saying you can have it all. When I thought about, okay, what does this look like practically for our church family this week to go and to live into this trust and submission to the authority of Jesus. I had this image of us every single morning, each and every one of us, not making it complicated, but when you put your feet on the ground, saying, okay, Jesus, you're Lord. Like, that's, that's the posture from which we start our day. Okay, Jesus, you're Lord. Whatever you have, whatever you want, like I, I, will, I will be obedient and I will submit to your authority. What, what if we, we let go of pride? What if each and every day we let go of control and we said, Jesus, we as a church, we as your followers, as your disciples, we're gonna trust you. We're gonna go all the way in. We're gonna be obedient to everything that you call us to because and this is where we're going over the next, next four weeks together. Okay, if Jesus has all authority, if, if we're invited to, to trust and submit and lean all the way into the authority of Jesus, I believe he's going to lead us to awaken a movement. I believe he's gonna lead us to awaken a movement in ways we maybe have never even imagined before. But first, we have to know 
We have to believe and we have to trust that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. We have nothing to fear when we go. You have nothing to fear when you, when you say, okay, it's yours, I'm yours. Because he's good and he's trustworthy. And every time that we stake our lives on him, we can trust that he has our best interest in mind. And we can, we can live and we can operate from that, that point of view that says, hey, even our, our present sufferings, our present life, they will pale in comparison of life eternal takes a shift of perspective to know, hey, it's not just here on earth, it's in heaven, it's forever, that Jesus does and will have all authority. So this morning, I wanna invite you to just wrestle with a couple of questions. Number one, do you trust Jesus's authority over all things? Do you trust his authority over all things? And number two, have you fully submitted to Jesus's authority? Now we're all in process one person's step of obedience is gonna be different than another person's step of obedience. Like this is a continual journey. I admit there are areas and places of my life that I need to fully surrender over to the authority of Jesus. And this morning, as we look at these two questions, I wanna invite you with the people you take communion with, do a couple of things. One, celebrate where you have. Like celebrate where in your life you said, I have trusted the authority of Jesus. Celebrate where where you have fully submitted to the authority of Jesus. And then spend some time just saying, hey, but, but there's more for me. This is, this is an area I need to trust. This is an area I need to submit. This is an area of my life I need to hand over to Jesus and just spend some time asking Jesus to help. He's good. He's trustworthy. He wants to meet you in that. He's, he's the God who comes to, right? In the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our pain, he's the one that draws near and comes close in kindness and love and mercy. Let me pray and let's head to the tables together. So Jesus, we, I know that honestly, there are just so many different responses to, to this, to your authority, to your rule, Jesus, I ask that you would just, in your kindness, in the very same way that you, you did it with the disciples here in Matthew 28, would you just come near right now? Will, will those in this room who just need like your nearness to say, okay, I'm, I'm in the midst of doubt, I'm in the midst of struggle, will you just draw near? And then Jesus, will you help us as a church collectively like to, to remember this reality that you are in charge. Like, we know how this story ends. We know where this story is going. And you are so worthy of our trust and our submission. We wanna be yours because we know that's where life is found because you have our best interest in mind. So Jesus, we, we lay it all at your feet as we were singing earlier. Like, you can have it all. You can have our love. You can have you can have it all, whatever it is for each and every person. Jesus, we come to this table knowing we're not doing it on our own power. We're not doing it on our own will. Even this like walking to grab the bread and the cup is this reminder, we can't do it on our own. We need your help. So as we, as we walk to the table this morning, will you help us to remember, hey, we're leaning all the way into you, Jesus. 
not ourselves. It's in the power of your name that I pray. And together as a whole church, we say, amen.